0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag.
1: By the way, for those of you who serve in some area of ministry, at whatever uh, area it is, never forget, never forget your service is as unto the Lord. It cannot be to men. Believe you me, (laughs) if you're doing it for man It won't be long before you won't be doing it at all, because when you do it, you're doing it as unto the
0: Lord. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. For some, serving comes easy. It's their spiritual gift. However, for others, serving can feel more like a (laughs) got-to. Whether or not we're gifted in this area, Pastor J.D. reminds us to serve as though we are serving God. We shouldn't serve to please or impress man, as this is selfish and will quickly fade. Serving with a heart for God will bring him glory and honor and serve a purpose for his kingdom. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Nehemiah, Chapter 3, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: All right, let's jump in. Verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests and built the Sheep Gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred, and consecrated it, Then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashib, verse 2, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Also the sons of Hasanaah built the Fish Gate, they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And by the way, if this seems like a lot of nuts and bolts, that's because it's a lot of nuts and bolts. A lot of work is uh, taking place here. And I'm hoping to kind of make some sense out of everything that's happening here. Verse 4, "'And next to them, Metamoth, the son of Urija, the son of Chuz, made repairs.' Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berakiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, made repairs. Next to them, the Ticoites made repairs. But, very interesting, their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. How would you like, for all of the generations over, you know, few thousand years to read what we just read about you refusing to do the work of God and have it be recorded in the pages of Holy Writ. It seems very interesting to me that God would deem it fit to have this recorded. Not only do we have very specifically by name those who did the work but we're told also very specifically that the Ticoites some, refused to do the work. Now the question becomes, why do we have that mention here in God's Word? It's here for a reason. And I believe one of the reasons is, is that it speaks of the importance of God's people rolling up their arm sleeves, as it were, and putting their hands to the plow when it comes to the work of furthering the kingdom of God, I love what Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 says, says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. And, and here's why, and this is kind of morbid a little bit, but for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Kind of <laughs> puts a little bit of a damper on it, you know? In other words, while you're alive, <laughs> uh, while you're still here, uh, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. That's what the Paul, the apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians. He says, In 3, verse 23, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not men. By the way, for those of you who serve in some area of ministry, at whatever uh, area it is, never forget, never forget your service is as unto the Lord. It cannot be to men. Believe you me, (laughs) if you're doing it for man It won't be long before you won't be doing it at all. Because when you do it, you're doing it as unto the Lord and not as unto men. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, a few verses earlier, Paul says, And whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Never imagine, as we continue to read on very specifically about the work that was taking place in the rebuilding of the wall, starting with the gates, which were very important, which is a very fascinating study, as we're going to see here shortly. Never imagine that the work was done grudgingly. Never imagine that, as one said, it was a got-to. This was not a got-to, it was a get-to. It was a get-to. Never never forget now, those that are working now, they're left of their own volition in two separate uh, returns, the first under Zerubbabel and the second under Nehemiah. They left to return at great risk against all odds. I mean, really taking a risk, a step of faith, if you prefer, to go back to Jerusalem to do this work. Nobody put a gun to their head, so to speak. That's a a metaphor you probably don't want to use these days, but anyway, I just did. Verse 6, Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah and Meshulam, and again, you'll forgive me on these names. I'll do the best I can without butchering them. So the son of Besodeah repaired the old gate, They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Melataya, the Gibeonite, Jadon, the Maranothite, the men of Gibeon, and Mizpah, repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, verse 8, Uziel, the son of Harhaya, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. By the way, uh, before we uh, get to verse 10, notice the order. Notice how organized this work is. I mean... They're they're divided into groups, into sections, they have very specific jobs, and they're all doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Verse ten next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramufaf, Harumaf, Mufi, I don't think there's any relation, made sorry, made repairs in front of his house, and next to him Hatush the son of Naya, made repairs. Verse 11, Malkijah, the son of Harim and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section, as well as the tower of the ovens. And next to him, verse 12, was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. And notice, it says, he and his daughters... He and his daughters made repairs. Oh, really? Well, this is a family affair, isn't it? Well, it's not just a family affair, but it's also involving the women who were also serving and doing the work. And here again, you have to ask yourself the question of why was it deemed important enough to include within the pages of Holy Writ. It has to be here for a reason. And again, one of those reasons, I believe, is that it speaks to the importance of the role that women have in the Lord's work. You know, one of the greatest blessings to me as a pastor over the years, both on the mainland and then here as well, is to see the women who so faithfully and even tirelessly serve In the church, women play such an important role. And it's kind of a, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's, it's almost a a two-edged sword. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Sometimes women will serve because the men will abdicate their responsibility to serve. And so the women will step into that role because simply put, and sadly, there's no men. There's no man to step into that role, so then the women step in. You know, this is an interesting dynamic, one that I, over the years in pastoral ministry, have seen. Again, this is on the mainland when I was doing marriage counseling, never here. So I'm going to never use an illustration from anything here. But on the mainland, I, I have counseled many a husband and a wife where the wife would say to me, that her husband was not taking the leadership role as a spiritual leader in the home and so by default she had to it's not that she wanted to but she had to because her husband was just unwilling to and had abdicated that leadership responsibility as the spiritual leader in the home Uh, by the way this is one of the qualifications for an elder certainly a pastor is that they have to have their house in order. If you're not the spiritual leader in your home, what do you think you're going to do? Be in a spiritual leadership position in the church? I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I, um well, I didn't intend on uh, even going that far into that, but maybe I'll just say one more thing uh lastly. One of the, um it's a blessing to me to see the women faithfully serve, but it's, there's another side to that it's also a frustration to me personally when men don't step up to the plate and you know serve and work and take the lead and i think it just is so important i mean and and a lot of times again that's why the women do do the work and really there there should be men that step into those roles and take that responsibility it is a role and a responsibility within the service in the church. Well, let's move on. Verse 13. Verse 13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zanoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. By the way, take note of the gates by name. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Melchisha, verse 14, is son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beit Hakarem, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Shalun, the son of Kol hauseh leader of the district of Misbah, repaired the foundation gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shallah by the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city, of David. A lot of detail here. Uh, and by the way, enjoy this now, because when we get to chapter 4, we're going to turn a very abrupt corner. <laughs> and I mean, everything is going well. A lot of work's getting done, and we're uh, told in great detail what they've done. But don't think that the enemy is going to sit idly by as the wall with its all-important gates are rebuilt by the Jews, as we're going to see. Verse 16, After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of half the district of Beth zur made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David, to the man made pool, and as far as the house of the mighty. Verse 17, And after him, the Levites, under the whom the son of Bani, made repairs next to him, Hashabiah, leader of half the district of Keilah, made repairs of his district. After him, their brethren under Bavai, the son of Hanadad, leader of the other half of the district of Keilah, made repairs. And next to him, verse 19, Ezra, the son of Jeshua, the leader of Misbah, repaired another section in front of the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Meramoth, the son of Urija, the son of Kos, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, verse 22, the priests, the men of the plain made repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. After him, verse 24, Benu'i, the son of Hennadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. Palal, verse 25, the son of Uzai made repairs opposite the buttress and on the tower, which projects from the king's upper house that was by the court of the prison. After him... Padiah, the son of Parosh, made repairs. Moreover, the Nethani—remember them—who dwelt in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the Watergate, towards uh, no relation to President Richard Nixon, but it was called the Watergate toward the east and on the projecting tower. I just want to make sure you're still with me. We're almost there. After them, verse 27, the Tikkuiites repaired another section next to the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. Beyond the horse gate, verse 28, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. This is security right here. After them, verse 29, Zadok, the son of Imr, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shalamaya, And Hanun, the sixth son of Salaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berekayah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of Nethanim and of the merchants in front of the Michkad gate. That's the last one. And as far as the upper room at the corner, and verse 32, between the upper room at the corner, as far as, and we go back to the sheep gate, the goldsmiths, and the merchants made repairs, which basically completed the work, the important work of the gates. Now, here's what's really fascinating. Woven into the fabric of this boring detail about all the nuts and bolts and the rebuilding of the gates, there is this typology that points to the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. Now, I'm going to paint the canvas with a broad brush, but in so doing, I would really encourage you in your own study to do a study of the typology of these gates. Every single gate speaks to and points to the person of Christ. And as I go through these, and I'll go through them quickly, not too quickly, so we don't, I don't want to miss anything, but there's, as we do this, notice a progression from the first gate to the last gate. It basically tells a story and it paints this, this prophetic picture of the person of Jesus Christ coming and being the salvation and redemption for mankind. And it starts with the sheep gate and this points to Jesus as the only gate for the sheep. And I I have the scripture references there. John 5 verse 2 and chapter 10 verses 7 through 18. Again, I would encourage you if you're interested, it is a fascinating study to get into this and how it all just flows perfectly and succinctly in its progression from the sheep gate to the last gate. Now the next gate, this is the only way to the Father is through Jesus, and then the fish gate points to Jesus Christ making us fishers of men. That's the fish gate. This is not an accident, by the way. This is not coincidence, right? You, you understand that. See, everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ, from Genesis 1-1, by the way. All the way through the Old Testament, it all points to... Remember when we were in the book of Numbers, some of you are going, Man, that was so many years ago. Who knew, right? The book of Numbers? Are you kidding me? What's the book of Numbers about? Oh, Numbers. <laughs> it's, well, that sounds really boring. Oh my goodness, it's one of the most interesting books in all of the Bible. So there's this account in chapter 22 of this man by the name of Balaam, or Balaam, and he's hired by and paid a lot of money by this guy by the name of Balak, to pronounce a curse upon the Israelites who were multiplying in numbers and posing a threat to the nations surrounding them. So what does Balaam do? Well, he accepts the money, being a greedy bugger that he is, and he tries to pronounce this curse upon the Israelites, and it's all in Numbers. In fact, I think it encompasses about three chapters in the book. Oh, by the way, in Numbers, I want to say it's about chapter 6. We have a list of the numbers of the camps of the Israelites. Now, who knew? You've got 12 tribes divided into four groups from the east to the west, the north to the south with the tabernacle in the middle. And at first read, it's one of the most boring things you'll ever read. So you got these three tribes in this group, you got the three tribes in this group, and then we have the numbers and there's, oh, interesting, there's more to the north than there is to the south and the east and the west numbers are about the same. And then you have the tabernacle right smack in the middle. And this is going to come into play again in Numbers 22 when Balam can't curse them. You know why he can't curse them? And even after Balak says, hey, let me, let me try to take you to a better vantage point, a higher peak. Because maybe if you see all of them, again, there's a great number of them in numbers, who's we're told what their numbers are. And so maybe from a higher vantage point, you'll be able to successfully pronounce this curse upon them. So he gets up to this mountain peak. And, and by the way, Balak is getting very upset. I'm paying you a lot of money, man. And every time you try to curse them, all that comes out of your mouth is a blessing. So he takes him up to this high peak, and here he is, he's ready to go, and what comes out of his mouth? The most beautiful blessing you have ever heard in your entire life. Oh my goodness, read it. He just, he, he blesses them. It's so beautiful and so eloquent and so powerful and so profound. And here's Bella going, you're fired, you're fired. And by the way, he does come later, and we see it in Revelation, And he says, you know, I I figured out how to really curse them. You can't curse them from without, but you can do it from within. You want to know how? You get these Moabite women, and you get them all dressed up very seductively, and you have them seduce the Jewish men, and they'll bring the curse of God upon themselves if you do it that way. And that's exactly what he did. And then you get into Revelation, the letter to the seven churches, and what do you find in there? You find this, the doctrine of Balaam. That was the doctrine of Balaam. That's how he got him to do it. Well, so here's the question. Why was he unable, no matter how hard he tried, no matter how much he was being paid, why could he not curse them? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. You see, in Numbers chapter 6, we're given those numbers of the camps of the Israelites to the east, the west, the north, the south, and we have the specific numbers. And who knew? It's in the shape of a
0: cross.
1: And that's why he couldn't
0: curse them. The book of Nehemiah introduces us to a biblical character who wasn't a priest. In fact, he held no great spiritual title at all. Nehemiah was just an ordinary man who God used to do something extraordinary. God still does this today. You don't have to hold an important office or study at seminary to do great things for your Creator. God wants to use every follower to make an impact in the world for his kingdom and has uniquely equipped each of us with the skills we need to do just that. You have a purpose. You can be sure of that. Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other teachings by Pastor J.D., visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. There's also a link to our special weekend edition of In Spirit and Truth, And Pastor J.D. is here to tell you more about them.
1: Yes, I'd like to invite our In Spirit and Truth listeners to join us for our weekend editions in which I do a Bible prophecy update. We look at current events happening around the world and how they relate to specific prophecies in the Bible. We broadcast these updates each Friday and Saturday, or you can find previous updates on our YouTube channel, and you can find the link at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com
0: thanks, Pastor JD. You can also access the Mideast prophecy update and other teachings on our mobile app, as well as learn more about In Spirit and Truth. Find a link to download at Inspiritruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor JD will continue teaching through Nehemiah next time on In Spirit and Truth. In Spirit and Truth.